starting our series, our new summer series on Romans. And as we look at Romans, we are looking at um, a lot of theological terms. Paul is writing to the people in Rome, and he's really trying to provide them an explanation, a justification, an understanding for this new faith that they are all trying to embody, all trying to live into. And so uh, what we find is that there's a lot of theological terms. There's terms like righteousness and salvation and forgiveness, terms that if you've been around the church for a while, maybe you have started to take for granted, but if you really had to define it, don't really know how you would. Or terms that if you haven't had any time in the church, you might not have a clue what they mean. Today, we're looking at the idea of judgment. And so we're going to be turning to Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. This is what Paul says. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth, but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, first the Jew and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Friends, I invite you to join me as we pray. God, we ask that you will shed light on this passage and shed light on our hearts, that we might understand more of what it means to be a person who worships and follows you. Help to give us clarity in the things that are too muddled and confused. And maybe help to slow us down on the things that we are absolutely sure that we understand perfectly. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a condition that runs rampant in our society. It's a chronic condition occurring in over 3 million new people every single year. And while it can be self-diagnosed, there is no treatment. Actually, there is a treatment, but there's no cure. 
Of course, what I'm referring to is presbyopia. Presbyopia is the aging of the eye. It's why your parent or your grandparent would wear bifocals or why you might be wearing transitional lenses today. Presbyopia causes us to see things incorrectly. In particular, presbyopia causes us to not see clearly the things that are nearest to us. We might be tempted to believe that the best case scenario about presbyopia is the only scenario, believing that the inability to see things clearly that are right in front of us is largely a nuisance, thinking that it's the difference between holding the book here or here, or it's the difference between scrunching up your face or looking down your nose. But not being able to see clearly is more than a nuisance. It can be dangerous. This old Sears commercial provides us a vivid example today. Here, kitty. Measer. Here, kitty. Oh, this comes snuggled with mama. It's a good girl. Missing something? Now in Sears Optical, get two pairs of glasses for $99.99. Can I have mama's girl? Not being able to see what is closest to us can pause, cause us a real problem. If we can't see clearly the things that are right in front of us, then how can we be trusted to see anything clearly? Our scripture for today is talking about how clearly we see or we don't see and how what we choose to see affects how we live, even though the scripture passage for, day, for today isn't talking about our vision. It's using another word that reflects how we see. That word is judgment. We use judgment in how we decide to see ourselves, in how we decide to see others, in how we decide to see God, and scripture says that God uses judgment in how God sees us. Eugene Peterson interprets our scripture for today in this way. He says this, there will always be people on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that that leaves you on high ground where you can point your finger at others, then think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself because it takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors, but God is not so easily diverted. God sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you have done. In other words, God does not have presbyopia. God sees us perfectly clear and from right up close. We, on the other hand, do not. When it comes to judgment, we don't tend to see things clearly from up close or from far away or from any distance in between. As humans, we are notoriously bad at making accurate judgments. There are several contributing factors for this. One of the big ones is confirmation bias. 
Confirmation bias is the tendency for our brains to interpret new information in a way that confirms our existing beliefs. For example, imagine that you believe that left-handed people are more creative than right-handed people. What happens then is that whenever you encounter a person that is both left-handed and creative, your brain is going to place a greater importance on their creativity as evidence that supports what you already believe, even if that creative person is one in five left-handed people that you've actually met. Let's use an example that's a little more divisive. Gun control, for instance. Let's say that Nancy is opposed to gun control. Nancy's brain is going to hold on to stories and anecdotes that support her belief, like the good guy with a gun idea. When she comes across news stories about shootings, Nancy's brain is naturally going to interpret those stories in a way that supports what she already believes. You hear this when people say it's not guns that kill people, it's people that kill people. Now let's say that Joan is in support of gun control. So she seeks out news stories and opinion pieces that reaffirm a need for limitations on gun ownership, like how gun control is connected with a lower suicide rate for veterans. When she hears stories about shootings on the media, Joan's brain interprets them in a way that supports her existing beliefs. So she would say it's people with guns that kill people. It's the reason why we have Fox News and MSNBC. It's the reason why we lose friendships over stupid memes on social media. It's why we can't talk about the things that are nearest to our heart with the people that are dearest to us because we are terrible at being able to listen to new information without reducing it to what we already know. We have terrible judgment when it comes to evaluating new information. It's called confirmation bias. However, the fact that we have terrible judgment doesn't stop us from using it. We defend our judgments over and over again, usually by lobbing other judgments on the people who disagree with what we believe. We see God's call to be radically transformed by the Spirit as something that others really need because they are so lost. And we see God's call to be radically transformed by the Spirit as something that we're probably already doing because we're really good people and we try to be good people all the time. We fail to see the goodness in others. And so our bad judgment extends to people and it extends to God equally. Listen to how Peterson continues in our scripture passage for today. He says, In kindness, God takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. You are not going to get by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God's radical change adds fuel to the fire. Make no mistake. 
in the end, you will get what's coming to you. Your real life will be given for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and insist on taking the path of least resistance, you get wrath and fury. To those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, to those that refuse what is new so that they can cling to what is familiar, to those who point out their, the perceived weaknesses that they see in what is new as a way of invalidating it so that they can preserve what they already know. Those people get wrath. You ever do that? I certainly have. A friend of mine this week described wrath, God's wrath this way. He said, God's wrath means that God will allow us to reap the consequences of our own short-sightedness. I like the way he words that because it helps us to remember that God's wrath is less of an intentional punishment from God and more of a natural consequence of our own stubbornness and self-centeredness. Put another way, God's wrath is the opposite of heaven. If heaven is dwelling in infinite eternity, infinitely in the new and unexplored, then wrath is being isolated in our singular perspective alone, isolated in our presbyopia. I think it's important for us to remember that as we read this book in Romans, it's being written by Paul. And Paul, of all people, is going to be someone who knew what the wrath of God felt like. After all, it was Paul's own judgment that caused him to lead others in tracking down Christians in order to imprison them or to kill them. It was Paul's judgment that led him down the path of becoming a murderer. But at the time that he was doing it, Paul's judgment told him that hunting down Christians was noble and honorable. Paul had no doubt that killing Christians was the right thing to do. His confirmation bias told him over and over again that right beliefs and dogma were going to be more important than anything, even than life itself. And there was absolutely nobody who could tell him otherwise, certainly not Stephen, the man who, as he died from a stoning right in front of Paul's eyes, begged the crowd for God's presence and then prayed to God that God would forgive his murderers. Paul believed in his own judgment so confidently that not even the witness of an innocent man's death could change his mind. It was only the dramatic and terrifying experience 
of Jesus shoving Paul off of his horse and blinding him with light that caused Paul to consider that maybe the judgment he was using was not so reliable after all. The wrath of God, my friends, is being left to our own myopic view, being left in, in place of the danger of our presbyopia. Chances are Paul, once known as Saul the murderer, knew what that felt like the most. Fortunately for us and for Paul, wrath is not where our scripture for today ends. Peterson finishes interpreting our passage saying, but if you embrace the way that God does things, the radical transformation, then there are wonderful payoffs, regardless of where you are from or how you were brought up. There is no automatic stamp of approval. You don't get there by who you know or what name you were given at birth. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. God makes up God's own mind. Madeline Langle once said, people have a point of view, but God has a view. Humanity, I'm sorry. People have a point of view, but God has view. Humanity has a view. God has view. So when Moses, when Moses' view said that he couldn't lead because he stuttered, God's view saw all of Israel walking across the floor of the Red Sea in between walls of water. When the people of the Tower of Babel had, the, had a view that drove them all to huddle together in the same place doing the same thing, God's view saw them scattered across the earth. When Peter's view was that of his best friend dead on a cross, God's view was of the tomb being emptied. We have a view. God has view. We have a judgment, but God is judgment. Friends, as Christians, we are not doomed to live by the whim of our brain's confirmation bias. It's not something that is given. We are not destined to continue to live our lives in response to our own presbyopic judgment. But we also need to be participants in the process. We need to be willing to put on the lenses that give us insight into that eternal view that we are promised and is poured out on us in the Holy Spirit. The good news is, my friends, is that God sees no partiality. 
That means we're going to be held responsible for what we do or what we don't do. But it also means that we are not going to be disregarded as too bad or too lost or too helpless. In God's eyes, all of us are created in God's image. And so all of us are created and called good. When we find ourselves most certain about our own perspectives, when we find ourselves gathering information in support of what we already believe or gathering information so that we can make sure that whatever that person is saying is not given any validity, when we are certain that whatever new thing we are being faced with is not good, then we need to hold up, put on our lenses and pray. Pray that our hearts will be able to understand the view that matters. Friends, this is what I long for for us as a church, to be the people who live into the radical transformation We don't want to be, nor are we called to be the Presbyterians with presbyopia. Let's look for what is better because what is better is offered to us and it's called good. Please join me as we pray. God, we ask that you will help us to have humble hearts, particularly in the moments where we feel defensive or lost or cornered. We pray that in the very moments where it counts the most, that we will be the people who choose to stop and consider your view and not just our point of view. We pray, God, that it is through this faithful action that we as your church here in San Marino and throughout the world will be people who remind others that there are lenses that correct our brokenness and that by using those lenses, we too can see the world as you see it, created to be good, In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.